0: Hello, fellow movie lovers, and welcome to Cult Fiction, a podcast where we examine Hollywood's redheaded stepchildren. As a redheaded stepchild myself, I'm Stephanie Johnson. And
1: I'm Andy Bowell, and today we're pulling back Hollywood's crypt to review the 1998 teen horror movie, The Faculty.
0: I liked this a lot more than I was expecting
1: to. I am so happy. <laughs> <laughs> like make- It's very silly. It's very silly. It's very cheesy. It is some good late 90s schlock. And I think this is like the most biased I've been in favor of a movie in a long time because of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Like, I first saw this movie when I was probably, like, eight. And I I don't remember much of it, but I remembered a lot of, like, the last 45 minutes, and I loved it so much as a kid. I thought it was so damn cool. And so I definitely walked into the faculty, like, a little worried about how a second viewing, not as a child, would affect it. And this thing is... Very cheesy, very, like, paint-by-numbers, built-by-studio-executives, but it's also so fun.
0: Yeah. It really is. So, in case you missed the movie, The Faculty is the story of body-snatching parasites who overcome a small Ohio town high school, and the scrappy band of teenagers who fight to return their town to normalcy.
1: Like, that is absolutely the plot, but also... This is Scream meets The Thing.
0: How do you figure?
1: Oh, it is such a, like, pure mashup of that movie, uh, of those two movies. Because there is so much, uh, I mean, there's so much similar with The Thing. Um, You know, the entire antagonist plot of alien creatures that come and, like, take people over and assimilate you. And there's just enough body horror, alien transformation stuff that it, it feels very homage to that concept. There's more than a couple of moments in the movie itself that are direct homages to The Thing. And this came out in a post-Scream universe. And I think a lot of mm-hmm. people don't understand, like, Scream was a genre-redefining movie. As, yeah. as a horror film and, and to be smart and witty and like self-referential and aware of horror movie tropes, but unable to break out of them. That was not really a thing before that movie. And so this, this came out after that and was, in fact, it the the script had been written in 1990 and it just kind of sat around with nobody wanting to make it until... Scream came along and then Dimension Films was like, "Uh, we need something very similar to that. Uh, This. Here. Here, Kevin Williamson, literal writer of Scream. uh, Change the script around a little bit. Make the high schoolers snappy and um, go.
0: (laughs) And here you have the faculty. And here you have
1: the faculty, which is like just such a it's. I say this with the highest praise. It's such a competent horror movie. hmm Like that could be a very backhanded thing, but I, I think that's the exact right tone. Because it's it's not perfect. And we can nope. totally address those things as we discuss it, but by and large it is just it is perfectly competent. It it'll it it, it was an enjoying viewing experience for you.
0: Yes. Because it's very good, like basic horror, but it's not—it's not super scary. It's just kind of like jump jump scary ish. Mm-hmm. Like I think the scariest part is when you when you see the actual alien transferring into someone else's body. But that just made me think of animorphs. Yeah. So. <laughs>
1: That might be the other reason, um, thinking about it, that I love this movie so much. I, as I've talked about on Love, Hate, Relationship, my other show, I was a huge Animorphs fan. And probably around the time I first saw this was the same time I, like, was first picking up the first couple Animorphs books. And it's incredibly, like, reminiscent of that, too. Especially, like, specifically an alien creature, like burrows into your head and it's up to a bunch of high schoolers to stop it i don't i don't think there's any connection because the timeline is kind of weird like i said um the faculty was originally written in 1990 it didn't premiere until 1998 Animorphs premiered in 1996 so i don't think anybody stole anybody's idea it just happened that like you know in it's body snatchers it's it's a subgenre of alien sci-fi in and of itself, um, yeah. But especially for like a younger kid, it was close enough, and just I just I totally love it.
0: Yeah, it's it's really 90s too. So I think that's why it gave me those animorph vibes. Other than you know the alien crawling into someone's ear,
1: right? Um, yeah, and so you know getting into the 90s. That's this is 90s schlock. And the 90s, especially the late 90s, were such a cleaner time to make movies. Not necessarily in, like, the content, but New York was getting disney and the uh little indie filmmaker studios were were taking a bit of a break and big studio systems were very much on the rise and it was kind of a you know a second age of the hollywood studio system so this is very much you know i said it before this was made by a team of executives more than by any one singular person and It comes out in how tropey it is and how like we're going to make this movie the most pleasing to everybody it is. But at the same time, like we're going to open our movie by playing the offspring and we're going to have everybody wearing like baggy jeans and denim flannel open shirts and oh we're gonna throw in a bunch of stuff that is just for the trailer like a shot of josh hartnett like driving around a mustang that never has anything to do with anything but we need it for the trailer damn it this is incredibly 90s in a cheesy way and i mean we're both 90s kids so i think this movie's so much more than, say, Toxic Avenger. Or even, like, Gremlins, which I think is, you know, a lot of what I just described, only it was made during the 80s. Like, there is this extra, like, clear nostalgia factor.
0: Yeah, we've got baby Elijah Wood. Like, pre-Lord of the Rings Elijah mm-hmm. Wood, back when no one knew who he was. Um, a very young Selma Hayek. A really, really young Jon Stewart and tiny baby Usher, who Alex and I had to pause the movie and go, is that is that Usher? That's Usher.
1: <laughs> is that Usher doing a film role for reasons? And it absolutely is. Like, and yeah, like I, I went ahead and looked it up. This is post-first album Usher. So trying to do like that thing where it's like, we're, we're not sure if you're a singer or an actor yet, but we're going to throw you in this movie and find out. And um, I think my favorite thing is he kind of doesn't actually do anything. Like nope. he is the most, um, you could cut him out of the movie with the most ease and it wouldn't change anything, but also it's Usher. So you're looking at it like, Oh, Hey, that's, that's him. Okay.
0: I was also especially here for John Stewart as the like
1: science teacher, creepy science yeah. teacher, dude. <laughs> I was sitting here like, what a weird aspect of stunt casting. And like, who, who was he friends with or, or why did he want to do this? Did he just really like, like scream and wanted a, a piece of that? And, and none of that's the case. Did, did you know what the deal was?
0: No, I have no idea. Please lay it on me. So
1: this is a pre Daily Show John Stewart, sure. Which I I didn't know that was a thing. I I assumed he just like walked into a soundstage one day and was like, "I've got a political comedy show," and they gave it to him. So I I was sitting here <laughs> expecting this to be like just some weird, bizarre little stunt casting, and it's like it's like how uh, Jay Leno voiced a character on the Fairly Odd Parents for no real reason, but it's like no, this is, I am Jon Stewart, the actor, and I haven't found my way in life yet. And I'm going to go ahead and do this movie because it will pay for my rent for a month. And there's something I love about that. That's sort of like, and, and, you know, Jon Stewart's kind of faded from the public consciousness, but for what, 20 years, he was the comedy central political satire guy. Mm-hmm. So, to see him in any way before that is just kind of fun to see, really,
0: yeah, and it was kind of fun to compare him to the science teacher in gremlins because they huh. have kind of they have kind of a similar like neither of them are bad dudes, but because what ends up happening to them or because what they end up doing is creepy, they are creepy.
1: Right. I mean, so I didn't find him all that creepy, especially when he was an actual like unpossessed human. But, but what about him was so off putting for you?
0: Oh, I think that he was so into the kids' lives like that immediately. Just makes me be like, why are you so interested? <laughs>
1: Got it fair. <laughs> but no, I didn't even, I didn't even associate that to gremlins, but they, they serve the exact same role. They're given a thing and they poke it with a stick and somehow it gets loose and like kills them but they, they very much like serve similar roles and and i didn't think about that at all that's really fun ah, fuck.
0: god damn it yeah and then also serving a wonderful role as clea deval like basically acting as our this is what happens in fiction so very now that I think about it very scream of like these are the rules this is what happens
1: exactly so yeah returning to cult fiction Clea Duvall yay 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 but this was the movie this was a movie she did a few years before but I'm a cheerleader so we're seeing her earlier in her her timeline and really like between you and me stokely is like the most memorable character aside from maybe elijah wood as casey you're absolutely on the money she is the scream mouthpiece only they decide you know okay we can't do sci-fi movies people will know we're totally ripping off scream what can we do uh uh alien literature okay, she's going to know all these references to Heinlein and war of the worlds and invasion of the body snatchers and help the audience out in that way. And she serves it very well. And the thing I I really want to get into with Clea Duvall, you know, I mentioned, but I'm a cheerleader. She plays a character who everyone assumes is gay, (laughs) but is actually straight when we know, of course, Cleo herself is proudly gay. And not only that, but her biggest like character beats are how she is utterly vilified for being a lesbian. Yep. And so to lead us into, you know, how this didn't age well.
0: Social justice, one, two, three. Woo woo. I want to be PC. Woo woo. It's just
1: the way to be for me. I walked away from it very much under the impression that like the worst thing one of the worst things i can say about this movie is it it is homophobic without any sort of redemption in that in that way
0: Mm -hmm. because at the end clea duvall's character is with the dreamy guy she wanted to get with and they have zero chemistry like bless Cleo Deval's heart she is trying but they have zero chemistry and it's just kind of disappointing
1: very much so you know i think if this movie had come out just a few years earlier they they would have found some other way to make it work honestly what should have happened is Cleo Deval and jordana brewster should have gotten together um And you can have this moment where Jordana Brewster's character stops being such a rancid bitch and like learns to accept herself and love herself.
0: That would involve a whole extra 20 minutes. I mean,
1: fair. Um, But yeah, like the, the one black spot is, Oh, this is very late nineties, pre queer as folk, pre the L word, pre, but I'm a cheerleader. Um, and I know there's a couple other points that you specifically wanted to bring up uh, regarding the uh, women in the movie. Oh,
0: well, because all the women die first. So at the end, you have like the two dudes who are going to save us all. And I'm like, uh, uh, okay. Like all the, all the female teens get taken over, but the two dudes, basically Josh Hartnett, and um Elijah Wood's character are gonna save us all. And it just felt weird.
1: Sure, cuz I I'll tell you what I remembered as a kid was that everyone else was indisposed and and Casey was the last person standing. I I remembered for some reason Zeke Josh Hartnett either getting like killed or getting possessed, which would have negated this point, but as it stands, he just gets kind of knocked out where it's yeah, it's not only is Cleodoval uh possessed, but it turns out that marabeth is the big alien monster bad guy. So all of our female team characters turn evil throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. And and more than that, all of the uh women faculty members Are very uh, tropey in a not good way from the 90s they all get like these glow ups that none of the men get when they're possessed and so I'm sitting here being like okay wait is this sexist that like Principal Drake gets all like confident and sexy in a way that she wasn't before and Famke Janssen's teacher character like goes from the timid shrew to this like angry sex pot um it's it's everybody it's every female character in this uh in this movie has not the best things happen to them and and yeah that's that's just got to be laid out in front
0: yeah meanwhile we have robert patrick looking the exact same from beginning to end except
1: for that one moment where he's got monster face but yes to your point
0: (laughs) (laughs) well he's he's beefy throughout, like he's he's buffed the whole damn time, which I guess he's the p teacher backslash football coach. I guess that makes sense yeah um but also also <laughs> so I appreciated that the movie and even even in horror, it didn't it didn't go the creepy place where the male teacher hit on the female student. It didn't go there sure Helmstever. We totally have a female teacher hitting on a male student heavily, but it's fine that way around, right?
1: Right? It's fine because he's uh, he was held back a year. Um, it's it's totally fine. You, know, I was so ready when I saw this point. I, I like really thought about it, and I was like, well, well, wait. When when she's not possessed, she like clearly doesn't like him in that way and and even when she is possessed and and she hits on him he he rightly doesn't succumb and oh that's right they definitely insinuate that they are a romantic item at the end of the movie so
0: (laughs) yeah she's like at his game right hanging out and i'm like Really? You're a fully grown woman. You don't have anywhere else to be. You want to hang out at a high school football practice? Not even the game. The practice? If I have to see you peddling your little wonder dust again, I'm going to shove my foot so far up your ass. I'll be sucking my toes till graduation.
1: So we just watched Easy A, um because we we do watch movies that aren't for the show sometimes. And in Easy (laughs) A, Lisa Kudrow plays a teacher who sleeps with a student, and she is so completely shitty about it. And just like this total bad character who all she can do is justify that technically the student she sleeps with is an adult, so it's not actually illegal. And this reminded me of that.
0: Yeah, in the same way where it's like, "Oh, he's an adult. It's fine." But other than okay, setting light pedophilia aside, um, I guess it isn't pedophilia if he's 19. It's not so pedophilia,
1: setting- but it's it's an inappropriate power dynamic. It's it's not something you should actually even allow in real life.
0: There you go. Okay. So putting that aside, I loved the character of Zeke so much.
1: Sure. How can you not? It's Josh Hartnett.
0: (laughs) With a terrible triangle haircut.
1: Yeah. Josh Hartnett is a snack in this movie and Mm -hmm. is just, I'm, I'm realizing now I've got a thing for the bad boys,
0: be- weird how that works
1: <laughs> weird how that works I've, I've got a thing for bad boys the the kind of people who like in high school I absolutely would have stayed relatively as far away from as possible um, but that that makes a lot of sense there, I, I'm not in love with Zeke the same way I'm desperately in love with James Spader but he's a complete snack except for that haircut that inexcusable bad 90s haircut <laughs> that my parents don't live at home with me and I'm not going to waste money. Like, that's what it is. That's in and, and if I'm right, then that's actually smart, but I think I'm just coming up with excuses for 90s fashion. Like it looks like he cut it himself.
0: Oh, it absolutely does. Yeah. But,
1: but beyond. in his defense,
0: he probably did because he's like this stay at home like loser kid who got held back a bunch of times and deals and makes drugs
1: yeah i mean so i was gonna say you know haircut aside he is he is without a doubt the most interesting and complex character the movie can present us the the very much like hard shell bad boy with a secret heart of gold and a secret like just intelligence and and learnedness but also he's never going to show that except when he like thinks he's found a cute sweet southern belle to like hit on yep yep <laughs> so i got to tell you just just while we're talking about the characters and we're talking about the 90sness th- there's so much 90s schlock that i do love about the movie you know i love the opening scene and it's like it's mini horror film in and of itself where Robert Patrick is chasing BB Newer through the um, through the school, and you've got this utterly corny horror music, but also like these fun camera angles and like the cameras at her ankles looking up as she's running down the hall, and 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 there's a lot I appreciate there. I love the super cheesy soundtrack. I I love a lot of things, and. The bit the, the bit where they spend five minutes panning around the school and like introducing us to our main characters by literally introducing us to our main characters and freeze framing and writing Stokely on the screen. So like we know, oh okay, that's Stokely, I care about her. <laughs> that was so lame. This is the only reason I get, like, the only word for it I can give. That was so, like, okay, we understa- we don't even trust our audience to be be paying enough attention to know people's names. We better tell them. There was that part of it. And then this movie uses a lot of really quick cuts to black. And it bothered mm-hmm. so much. Why? Because it didn't need it. Like I don't need a scene of like the one that comes to mind there's there's the bit where Casey Elijah Wood he's eating lunch on the bleachers and he finds the the dying alien creature in the grass and then he's scared by Robert Patrick. Robert Patrick like threatens him and Casey runs away and then like the the it cuts back to a shot of Robert Patrick and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, you better run." soft fade to black like like a one second fade to black before we go to the next scene of cutting to the science classroom and it's like just cut to the science classroom i don't know it bother to be fair that's always bothered me i remember being a little kid and watching dumbo which was made in uh-huh. the 60s or something and there are, uh-huh. there are cuts to black in dumbo for tre- scene transitions too and i was always just like why so so i guess this is just me i have a personal vendetta against shortcuts to black
0: what would be better like a fade away or a jump cut or what what kind of transition do you prefer yeah
1: i think a jump cut unless there is like unless you're conveying an incredible passage of time Like it would be acceptable if we fade to black on Robert Patrick and then fade back up. And he is in another room talking to a different alien or something. Cause then it's like, okay, we needed to denote the passage of time as it is. Like, I don't need to know that it's been 20 minutes since Casey ran away because now he's in the science room because I watched Casey run away. So if it just cut, to the scene where he is in he's walking into John Stewart's class to show him the alien thing. I'm like, "Yes, that makes sense." Like it was just and <laughs> it just bothered because I think it's redundant. I don't know.
0: <laughs> no, that makes sense. It's um kind of an outdated thing, I would say not a lot of movies do. Fade to black as a transition. I don't think screamed um, at it.
1: Like I'm trying to remember now. Like for, for the the movie that this was like trying very much to ape. um It, it was just it was it was a, a strange decision.
0: A strange decision, indeed.
1: <laughs> but that kind of leads into a, another talking point. This is a Robert Rodriguez movie.
0: No. Well yes,
1: right, but but you say that as a joke, but I sit here and seriously say, this is the least Robert Rodriguez movie Robert Rodriguez has ever made,
0: really, you know Foky Jensen's head being a little like octopus thing separate from her body (laughs) wasn't robert rodriguez enough for you well
1: because that was john carpenter that was that was a moment that was so like to me at least and and i could totally be projecting that was a moment that was so to me the thing hey remember the thing to the point where i got really upset that zeke didn't say you gotta be fucking kidding me which is the line that happens in the thing when a head starts crawling around (laughs) um like in 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 the sense that like there is in the sense that it's well made i can see robert rodriguez's fingerprints because say what you will about the guy he he doesn't know how to make a technically bad movie Mm, mm -hmm.
0: um
1: you know, he also, he he respects practical, practical effects as much as he can get away with it. And that's why, you know, a, a lot of stuff in the ending works so well. But like Robert Rodriguez had made El Mariachi and he had made uh, Desperado and he had made From Dusk Till Dawn. And he hadn't made anything else yet, so he he hadn't made anything else yet, so he wasn't Capital R Robert Capital R Rodriguez just yet, mm. which which is I think the deal because this movie was very clearly thrown at him. Um, the studio mm-hmm. executives wanted Kevin Williamson, the writer, to direct it, and he wanted to go direct something else instead. So it's like who who do we have? Uh, hey, hey, Robert, you're an up and coming young hotshot. Make this movie. But in the making this movie part, it was like, OK, I will edit this movie because that's what I do. I'm Robert Rodriguez. But this isn't this isn't my story and this isn't my bag. So, yes, I'll totally direct this movie for you. And then I'm kind of just going to stay out of it
0: interesting that's okay. that's what i got
1: at least something you know somebody might watch this and be like what are you talking about this this is so blatantly robert rodriguez it was kind of weird and and fun
0: i think i'm i'm comparing this a lot in my head to like spy kids or um his other movie Sharkboy and lava uh, girl planet T- i was gonna say planet terror but okay
1: (laughs) you know what i can i i totally do see a lot of similarities between this and planet terror and even Mm -hmm. even then there is nothing in this movie that is as insane as strapping a m16 to a stripper's leg because it got cut off like from eh, from, from Dust Till Dawn is on the list, and I'm I'm pretty sure you haven't seen it. No, I've not. From Dust Till Dawn is fucking insane. Like the the end of that movie is wet. <laughs> and the ending of this movie is wet, but in a much different way. In an actual water kind of way. <laughs> I I only say this to like pick nits because I feel like I this isn't a movie where I'm so just nostalgia blinded that I I love it and I love it despite everything. So I think like I want to have some level of fairness and and pick out the flaws of the movie. But really it's only because sure. like you know we we review stuff critically on this show.
0: <laughs> that tracks. Yeah, you know. Uh, Speaking of the visual effects, the special effects person and makeup head, Robert Kurtzman, Mm -hmm. for this movie, did everything else? Like, everything else. Like, we're talking, he did Phantom of the Opera, he did Green Mile, he did all of the Scream movies, so your comparison there makes sense.
1: Robert Kurtzman is a titan of the like special effects industry. He did from dusk till dawn. Um Oh. Yeah. He he's done, he's still working today in the makeup department. The he he worked on haunting of Hill House, he worked on Doctor Sleep. He's got a bunch of credits that are like still filming. He's the, the man has been in business for 40 years, 45 years, something like that. Um, And is just, like, a brilliant practical effects wizard. And so I was so happy to see his work. And I think that's a bit of why, like, I remember the last half hour of this movie. Mm -hmm. Because that's when you get the majority of the practical alien effects. Sure. Um. The reveal is great. The the reveal of Marabeth as the alien queen is I'm not going to say you don't see it coming.
0: Cuz you totally do. <laughs>
1: you absolutely see it coming. The way she keeps being like she all of her lines of dialogue work both ways. They work if she's some kid from Kentucky and they work if she's like an alien fish out of water. And you start to pick up on that after a while. Come out, come out, wherever you are. I
0: will say, so just because I live in the South, she's from Atlanta and she has an Atlanta, Georgia, Southern accent. She does not have a Kentucky accent. They are two totally different accents. And so help me God, I will correct you on this. Oh my God,
1: please do. Cause that's my favorite thing. I never knew I would like enjoy Yes. Give <laughs> give me all the accent work and corrections that you want.
0: <laughs> well, so I live in North Carolina, so we have the North Carolina Southern accent.
1: Ah. But
0: I also live in the but I also live in the mountains, so it's a little bit more on the Yeehaw side of things. Uh
1: huh. Uh huh. Okay, fair enough. Maribeth with her Georgia Peach accent. um, Thank you. Also works as a total alien. And, you know, the moment where she punches Stokely uh, off the bleachers and then just morphs into this, like, something out of the thing. Like, it is this insane, very cool, very, like, fleshed out creature design alien queen monster thing. And I love it.
0: So is now the right time to tell you that I've never seen the thing?
1: How did I not know that? I feel like I should have known that. I mean, yeah, now's the perfect time. Um, (laughs) I don't know if I can justify putting it on cult fiction, but it is my favorite horror movie, period. So uh, we will fix this. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I'm happy to watch whatever movie with you, perhaps not for this podcast, because I'm looking at it now and it has obviously not cult. Like just, you know, when you can look at an IMDb page and you're like, oh, no, this movie made money, like a
1: lot of money. Well, no. Yeah, you you can't take one of the greatest sci-fi horror films ever made and try to say it's cult. It's the same reason we're never going to watch Alien. like.
0: I mean we'll watch it. We just won't watch it for this show. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's that's fun. Well so so then I'll tell you like like there is so much John Carpenter's the Thing in this. You know, the the bit where Fomke Janssen's head starts crawling around or just the the idea of an alien like assimilating a human host and the most the thing moment in the movie is actually also one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie. It's the bit where they're in Zeke's garage and they all get high to prove that they're not aliens because Zeke's caffeine drugs are the alien kryptonite.
0: Yeah, that was my favorite, probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie because the writing was just so brilliant. Like, the tension in that scene is so high.
1: Then you're going to really enjoy the thing because they do the exact same thing, only they're testing people's blood by lighting it on fire.
0: (laughs) Oh, thanks. I hate that, but also kind of like it. Yeah
1: but like right down to the point where nobody knows how to trust each other. And you know, it's like, okay, you point a gun at me. I'll point a gun at you. I'll do the thing. Okay. Now point your gun at him. Um, and the, like right down to not expecting that it's going to be Jordana Brewster. The one thing I will say, and I, I kind of love this. Maribeth's alien queen creature is smarter Mm. than the alien in the thing. Because in the thing, mm. it gets caught. It, it, it's, it gets, like, discovered through the test. And the bit where Maribeth fakes it by growing skin over her nostrils before she snorts the thing. Like, that was a just fun, brilliant... I love the double twist of, like, yeah, here's how I threw you off my scent. I am an intelligent creature that, like knows what i'm doing here it's very fun
0: that's lovely yeah okay well now i'm looking forward to watching the thing oh can we talk about using a paper cutter blade as a uh machete that's
1: so great that's something it's my
0: favorite part something
1: every kid who's ever been in an art class or just like Like, in elementary school, using the paper cutter, every kid ever has wanted to use that thing as a sword. And you get to in this movie.
0: (laughs) There's some brilliant writing here. I really was not expecting to like that as much as I did.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll give it to the guy. Like, I'm not quite as much of a screenwriter nerd as I am a... Director, cinematographer, editor, nerd, and at the same time, Kevin Williamson, like, there's a reason that he wrote a genre-defining horror movie, and then for the rest of his career, people would just hand him projects and be like, make this more like The Thing, because The Thing is great and sells and is wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> also, I'm looking, at now, looking it up now, he is from New Bern, North Carolina, so... Tying it back around.
0: I have no idea where that is because I moved to this state and then stayed exactly where I was. Because (laughs) once you leave Asheville, uh, you are in a very different kind of uh, state. Fair. (laughs) Neither here nor there. Did you want to tell
1: your paper cutter story? I mean,
0: I certainly can. I don't think it's at all related other than the fact that it was with a paper cutter. I mean, it clearly
1: drew up some memories for you. (laughs)
0: So when I was a senior in high school, I was a student aide for our art teacher, our school's art teacher. um, And there was one day that he said, like, hey, can you you cut these things for me with the paper cutter? And the paper cutter was kind of in, like, the art closet. Mm -hmm. And I was like, sure. And the art teacher and I had kind of a joking, close-ish relationship. And so I was, you know, cutting things. And then I got the brilliant idea, and I just, like, raised the paper cutter, brought it down, and then screamed bloody murder. And he ran into the art closet, the whitest I've ever seen this man. And he's like, oh my—oh, you little shit.
1: <laughs> um, I don't think any of our listeners are in high school. It's certainly possible. Uh, yeah. Don't do that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do it do it do it it's the best way to prank people it's so fun don't actually put your fingers under the paper cutter though that would be terrible right don't lose fingers. Uh, that's that's
1: the key i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> but yeah <laughs> so don't yeah don't use a paper cutter to pretend to cut off your own fingers don't use a paper cutter to actually um slice off your science teacher's fingers unless They are a a gross alien monster trying to, like, infect you. Then then go right ahead.
0: (laughs) My favorite part was that the fingers crawled like little worms. I was like, oh, I hate it. I love it. I
1: hate it. I love it. You are so going to like the thing.
0: (laughs) I'll like the thing. I'll like the wire. All of these things you have told me you're going to show me. And yet, still haven't. Can we talk about the loneliness of the line? You wouldn't have liked it here anyway. That's
1: please do. Cause I'm fascinated as to your take on that.
0: Okay. So Casey, you know, defeats um, Mary Beth vis-a-vis alien. Um, and you know, he's sitting, he's sweaty. <clears throat> he's sitting on the floor of this room and he just looks defeated. And he just quietly goes, you wouldn't have liked it here anyway. And it was like, "Oh, you don't like your life, do you, kid?" Like Casey is very sad about things. Ooh. Casey wants to be bigger than he is and he's not and he's very disappointed.
1: I I love that take because you're right and and that's, you know, that is Casey's character. He's the loser he's he's not even the burnout because zeke is the burnout but he's just straight up the pathetic loser he's the guy that gets his nuts thrown into the flagpole on uh, a regular basis but in that moment he is also our champion and our victorious hero of the movie and like you know, the next time we see him, it's two weeks later, and he is in a chemistry-less new new relationship with Jordana Brewster, and like, okay, happy ending, but that, like, he hasn't had that happiness when he says that line, and so Mm -hmm. I, I love that, you know, I took a thing that I just thought it was It was an action one-liner. We've got to put it in the movie. Our hero has to say a thing before they kill the monster. That's how this works. And I thought they were doubling down, because he's also got the really cheesy, forced, painful line where he sticks the drugs in her eye and says, Guaranteed to jack you up!
0: Guaranteed to jack you up. (laughs)
1: I thought they were just like, okay, we need a better line, uh, Elijah. And he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but you've put so much more into that, and I'm here for it.
0: I think it's because no one's no one's there to watch his victory. So, like, he kills the baddie, you know? He beats the, ba- the big boss, and then he just slumps to the floor, and he's like, Okay, now my life can go back to sucking like normal.
1: Damn. I've I've never considered that, but that that's absolutely right and that's so true to like that inner monologue is so true to the character. I I love that. That is un- incredibly insightful. I was just sitting here being like, "Now I'm scared of the bleachers." And them closing and, like, getting crushed in them. That's my big takeaway from that scene. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and also the... Um, I can't believe I'm standing up for Elijah Wood. But the car- the line guaranteed to jack you up, he is... He's echoing um, Joss Hartnett's character. Right. Who says that about his drugs. And, like, all right, you've been a teenage boy. You hear the cool dude who is getting a lot of affection and attention from girls say a thing. Mm -hmm. You're going to think that's the cool thing to say, and you're going to say it, too. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I can't believe I just thought so much about the inner monologue of a, like, 17-year-old boy, but...
1: I mean, that's that's gross, and thank you for your service, but also, like, thank you. That's awesome, and I love it. What real real quick? What what do you got against Elijah Wood? Oh, nothing. Oh, okay. The way the way you said, I can't believe I'm about to defend Elijah Wood. I was like, I I know his career is kind of weird as shit, aside from Lord of the Rings, but.
0: <laughs> oh no! I have nothing against him. I was just like his character in this was like really sad, kind of one note and sad.
1: Oh well, sure. I mean, they're all one note. This is this is very much the like. Uh, 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 Breakfast Club, go, kind of character (laughs) development.
0: Down to the point where when you were like, oh yeah, he's the loser, he's the pathetic nobody, I was about to be like, yeah, he's the Brian from Breakfast Club. Mm
1: -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Breakfast Club with, uh, alien parasites. That also works for this movie.
0: (laughs) Yup, pretty much.
1: Well... I think it's safe to say we enjoyed this very much. I, I I I've done this for a bad movie. I've never done this for a good movie, and I just want to get your take. Think thinking back on it, what did you like better? The faculty or twenty eight days later?
0: Uh I think twenty eight days later.
1: Okay. I'm not gonna i I'm, I'm, I'm not sure where to rank this myself is the question is why I asked the question i I think this is solidly like in the top third of things we've seen but beyond that it gets hard to place for my for me
0: i I can tell you but it's gonna make you mad oh go for it I like this better than green room <laughs>
1: well that's fair and I expected you to say that
0: <laughs> I just eh. I haven't watched it a bajillion and a half times.
1: That's fair. I mean I Green Room is definitely the last movie I walked in with a bunch of bias. And um I, I I'm I'm perfectly fine with that. I think I think this movie is in such a different place from Green Room, but they're both incredibly enjoyable to me.
0: <laughs> well, So speaking of things we enjoy for every movie, they might not earn an Oscar, but we like to give them an Oscar because we're a Gryffindor and a Hufflepuff as people. So we are going to give this movie some Oscars. Um, And Andy, what did you find as an Oscar for this?
1: So, so, you know, sometimes it's, it's one thing about a movie that you go, oh this this deserves special recognition this this deserves attention and I haven't talked about it yet. And sometimes it's more of a, a broader thing and and for me, it's more of a broader thing. I would like to give the faculty the Oscar for best homage. spent the whole time talking about it, but it is it is scream and the thing and a dash of anamorphs thrown into a blender and pureed and then the 90s crystallized and sprinkled on top of that and it is still such a fun good movie like the fact that it is just completely derivative doesn't detract from the quality or how much i enjoyed the movie and and that is honestly surprising to me so best homage Best homage. Okay. All right. I like it. Thank you. What Oscar did you have?
0: Oh, I am awarding my Oscar to Mary Beth for best wing woman. Why? Because, okay, before we know she's an alien, she's really nice to Clea Duvall's character, to Stokely, about like, okay, so you're not a lesbian? Here's this dude. You obviously like him. Let me make sure that you guys hook up.
1: What? (laughs) You're right. And that's awesome. And what does it say about the movie that it takes the secret evil alien to, like, accept the lesbian and believe the lesbian because no one else does?
0: Yeah, so that's the thing. There was some really shitty parts about not believing Clea Duvall when she says, I'm not a lesbian. There is a lot of like, um, there's some really bad politics in the movie around homosexuality and like believing the people when they say this is not my sexuality, which is just icky. But I will give it to Mary Beth for being the best wing woman and making sure that Stokely at the end of the day... Gets what she needs. I appreciate that. Alien or no.
1: You know, it works because in a, in a really roundabout way, she also gets Jordana Brewster and Elijah Wood's characters together by possessing Jordana Brewster and having her admit that she knew that Casey always liked her. So that's a little less great, but it still works.
0: Yikes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well... You know what doesn't make us kind of cringe?
0: I'm assuming you mean Kevin
1: Bacon? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh man. And and you, you you wrote in your notes, oh man, um who who did you say? Elijah Wood, Selma Hayek, uh john stewart this movie is going to be so easy to bacon and not, i don't think either of our bacons used any of those actors
0: you don't know that
1: I, i've got a pretty uh pretty good idea because i did it in one
0: <laughs> all right who did you do it in uh uh
1: <laughs> so robert patrick yeah is in a movie called Jane Mansfield's car with Kevin Bacon.
0: Yes, he is. That was also my pick. Ah.
1: <laughs> they're both like I haven't seen James Jane Mansfield's car, but I'm going through Robert Patrick's IMDB, and they're both on the poster together. And it doesn't get ah. easy. It doesn't get easier than that. <laughs>
0: True. That does help, doesn't Indeed. it? Indeed. But no matter, despite the fact that neither of us really won at Bacon, we both win when we pick a new movie.
1: That's right. At least I think we do. Uh, we always win, except when we horribly lose by getting a real piece of shit. And then you, the audience, win.
0: <laughs> Do-do-do-do-do-do. Ah!
1: <laughs> Let's find out what the deal's going to be. Um, I, I'll let you know. I I tooled around with the list a little bit. Um Oh, no. No, no, it's a good thing. We're finally under 300 movies.
0: What? How did that happen?
1: So I remember um, when Christmas came around, I pulled the Gremlins episode and I was like, we've got like two Christmas movies on the list. And then I actually looked and we've actually got a decent amount of movies that are holiday specific. So I've... Squirreled those away for for next December, next October, next holiday season, as it were. And, and that knocked some stuff off the list. So,
0: out of
1: yeah. our 300 potential movies in the Hollywood crypt, we are going to be watching number 235... Number two hundred and thirty-five is a movie that I've been telling you I've wanted to watch for a long time. It is Luc Besson's sci-fi classic, *The Fifth Element*.
0: Oh, the movie that I've fallen asleep in five times.
1: Yes, and I will absolutely uh, somehow, some way, maybe by incessantly texting you, make sure that you do will not fall asleep this time because I fucking love this movie
0: okay. You and every other. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> I will watch Fifth Element if for no one else than Brian Flenner who bless his heart watched the first half hour of this movie with me twice. And I fell asleep all times.
1: Um this movie truly is like one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. I'm so excited.
0: Well, that's all for this edition of Cult Fiction. If you want to keep up, you can follow us on Twitter at Cult Fiction Cast. You can also follow, rate, and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll close the crypt for now.
1: But join us next time as we watch Luc Besson's 1997 classic, The Fifth Element with all of its multi-passes and people who identify as heat popsicles and just all of its sci-fi action silliness i'm so happy for stephanie johnson i've been andy bowell hey, hey,